0: Hi and welcome to the Pink Velvet Couch. My name is Emmanuel. I'm a midwife, a mama, and I'm here to talk about women's reproductive health. Today we're gonna delve more into the topic of infertility by hearing the interview that I recorded with Joe, who works with the Canadian Association of Midwives. She is their communication officer, and they do really amazing work for the development of the midwifery profession and especially access to service of midwifery across Canada. So if you have a chance, please go check them out, Canadian Association of Midwives. So without further ado, here's the wonderful interview that we recorded together. Thank you so much for agreeing to talk with me and to share your journey with infertility. so that yeah, other here. yeah other women can benefit from this so would you like me to tell me a little bit more about um about your story sure
1: so I had my I have quite a big gap between my children so I had my first child in 2003 and with that pregnancy um so I was 29 at the time with that pregnancy like we decided we wouldn't have a baby and then like two weeks later we were pregnant so it was very like uneventful, you know, uneventful pregnancy, uneventful birth, just a very, you know, normal kind of situation. And then when I um, I was divorced, I had a new partner, we decided to start to have kids, I was around 39, I mm-hmm. believe. And um, we tried for about six months with no luck because of my age i thought you know i could wait a year I could wait a little more but i actually want to just go and see if everything's okay because i had been having a little bit of you know a little bit more pain during my period. there was a bunch of things going on that i was like oh maybe this is just age related maybe this is something else and i thought i'll go in and see you know my partner's much younger than me and six years younger than me so i was really mostly concerned about my age related factors and i work like tangentially with healthcare, so i have A lot of knowledge in that field, and I work in sexual reproductive health. So so I went in, and
2: I was immediately like, I went to my family doctor, was immediately sent to the fertility clinic here in Montreal. And how do I say? So we had a relatively easy experience. I think we didn't. We didn't have to go to. um, We just did um,
1: two rounds of insemination. So we just did two rounds of IUI and on the second round we got pregnant but it took a really long time to get there and what one thing i think you know is i certainly don't have the horror story that a lot of people have about going through we did have miscarriages along the way which were very difficult and the interface with healthcare personnel during, inter- during um during miscarriages is often really really rough i certainly could uh, talk about at length but um I think my biggest takeaway from the whole thing was, is that even though we had a very, you know, it took about two years total, the whole process, it increased my interface with other health care. So I ended up having to go to see, you know, be, um, you know, took four months to be seen in internal medicine to have a whole bunch of things looked at, like, to see if that was the cause. And then I had to
2: see a variety of people in like uh specialized OB
1: GYN unit. And that took many, many months to be seen. And each step along the way, increased my interface with people with the interactions were really terrible. So my interactions with the fertility team were actually very um, relatively, overall, very kind and understanding. But then it increased all of my interactions with other people with nurses and in internal medicine who said horrible things. And just if every time you end up seeing multiple, multiple, multiple professionals, you increase the risks of, um, well, it just increases your vulnerability across the board. And I think that I'm somebody who's like really, really, um, I have a lot of tools. I know how to deal with those professionals. I come in with a lot of understanding, a lot of like clinical understanding. And it still can be quite devastating, those interactions. And so it really opened my eyes to probably the people who are less tools, have less tools to do these
0: what they, they are probably experiencing. It. Mm-hmm. Was there anything in terms of things that were said to you that really like stuck out? Uh like, either like people like actual health professionals or people around you. There's I mean there's oh, the out. health professionals were yeah. So the the
2: biggest
1: the biggest hurdle to get there so many there were so many things along the way that it's there were so many things from just wanting to run tests on both of us out of curiosity there was that was a big one for me because there would be tests along the way where okay, yes that could be interesting to find out you know whether i have like um sure it was important to see whether i had like a, uh, an unusual clotting factor and that would be a really high one because i was having miscarriages right but then wanting to test for instance my partner's um, whether he carries the gene for um, sickle cell anemia, you know, when so I was like, well, we would have to wait several weeks to get the results from that before you want to keep working with us. And, you know, I'm a Caucasian woman, so the chances of it being an impact on our pregnancy is zero. But it was just they were curious. So there's a lot of like that kind of thing that started to happen, which, you know, Get out of control pretty quickly, you know, just all of tests for many, 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 you know, very many possibilities. Um, and then the other thing was when I was going through tests like in internal medicine and things like that, there was like first of all, I made the mistake of saying that for the, my previous pregnancy, which had ended in the miscarriage, that I had been followed by the midwives, and internal medicine lost their minds like, lost their minds. It was really, really, really. Good. And I had like a supervisor in internal medicine like come sweeping into the room, saying like, "For this next pregnancy, you will be followed by the GAR team here, for the Grossensnyder team here, you will be followed by here. You will have an amniocentesis." Like, which I was like, at that point, you know, I know we have insurance to have like, um, you know, genetic blood testing done. First of all, there's a large discussion around whether you would want to have genetic testing done. I mean, there were so many things like that constantly happening through the process, but it did reinforce my belief that working with the networks is really where I'm
0: supposed to be. Yeah, so there was not a lot of, like, actual exchange of information and informed choice going on. It was more like, this might be your body, but here's what you're going to do, and you don't really have a say, which doesn't, yeah, it's very far from empowerment. (laughs)
1: Exactly. And also, I think that the stakes just get really high, right? So the harder they're working with you to get pregnant and maintain the pregnancy, the stakes for everyone for it to continue well are really high for parents and for the professionals. So they start getting, you know, a lot more control. And that I think needs to necessarily happen. And in the end, of course, I went Was followed by my midwives at 42 had a home birth that lasted an hour and 24 minutes with no complications and you know, of course i made those decisions with my partner in the end but i think that somebody without the kind of information that i have
2: would just get so lost in that yeah
0: absolutely and did it feel kind of like because you didn't know the steps that would come or you were always waiting that the process felt more 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 or less endless exactly
1: it's a really really good point is that of course like now with hindsight like took a couple of years we only had two tries and it worked really well and so in hindsight I can stand back and say it wasn't that bad But when you're six months in or eight months in or ten months in like every every one of those days is a real day in that process you know and it's quite and it's quite stressful I must say that like the utility team was quite kind you know um so that helped but but um, yeah, without being given a lot of information or seeing a lot of residents, for instance, that one would say, oh, well, if this one doesn't work, we'll just go to. Um, sorry, I'm having a, uh, a moment where I can't remember what I'm trying to say. The next step after IUI, need you do.
0: Oh, um... oh, in vitro. Yeah, exactly.
1: So, you know, one resident would say, okay, well, next month we'll just start in vitro. And then another resident would say, no, no, no we could do another round of IUI. So there's always this kind of constant, like, okay, if we're going to start the in vitro process of a whole other, like, large kettle of fish, <laughs> or if we're going to continue on. So there's a, often a kind of, like, I'm not really sure what's going to happen next. Right?
2: And, yeah, and yeah. professional may have a different opinion about what's going to happen
0: yeah, and were you offered any like support in terms of like seeing a counselor that was never discussed? That was kind of like we're working on the clinical things. That is it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I do know
1: that um, I have other friends who being seen at the same clinic at the same time, and if they were a gay or le- if they were a lesbian couple,
2: they were they were required to. Have several sessions with
1: the psychologist. I know that there was anyone who was a single parent, was required. So there was other people that were required, and then families of like heterosexual couples that were still going through the same kind
0: of stressful situations were not offered. So there, it was a little confusing to me about the rules around that. Yeah, and maybe I guess a little bit biased as well.
1: Yeah, just slightly. Like. <laughs> I um, think the assumption is all was also probably that we were a stable couple that probably had resources outside, but nobody really asked us that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And how much time would it take to just ask the question and maybe offer a few names or a list? Wouldn't be too long. Um, or,
1: or, or One or two sessions with the psychologist that's on the floor. Totally Who knows what happens there every day.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So if you met any other women or couples that were going through these uh, same steps, what would you say to them? What do you think would be beneficial to know?
2: It's a really hard
1: one. It's it's a really hard one. I don't know many people. I do have several people around me that are in the process of in in vitro or in the process of I haven't really spoken with anyone who's had a very positive experience, to be quite honest. So I think
2: mm.
1: probably say that you really need to go in, kind of preparing your armor a bit. You know, it's a terrible, maybe a terrible analogy to make about like entering into the healthcare system. I, you know, my hope would be that we have systems in place that are much kinder to people, and but that um, they're seeing many, many, many hundreds of people with the same
2: issue, and the goal in the end, you know, when you stand back
1: with like my child now is six years old and you stand back like it was worth it. It was very, very much worth it. You know, I, I, I don't know if we would have gotten there in the end. You know, in the end, after many, many, many tests, we realized that I probably just needed to take aspirin and then I took aspirin and then the next month we were fine. So it was a very quick. In, like, it didn't take a. It wasn't quick to find the answer that I had some coagulation stuff going on. Wasn't quick to get there, but the, the solution was very quick. And then the result is that we have this like wonderful, cool kid that lives with us. So, but I, I walk into most situations with healthcare professionals with my armor quite up, you know, coming in very resourced and really, you know, putting the brakes on many decisions, taking my time, I come in already like that, and I probably need to take a bit more. So I would say that, um, you know, reaching out to anybody that works in healthcare that you know that can just, you know, on the sidelines give you some advice, I think is probably a really, really good idea. If you have that person, like a cousin who's a nurse, or if you know, somebody who has some experience in the field, it would be really good because there's things that come along that you're not really sure why we're having this test, and you're not able to get the information about why you're having this test. So it could be good to have kind of a, a sounding board. Not everybody has that maybe coming in prepared that it's going to be kind of there's going to be some fight involved you know there's and it's unfortunate
0: that there is I and mean, i think it's probably I've heard for many people and it was for us as well a little shocking on screen mm-hmm. do you think that uh, like infertility and fertility treatments is something that we like don't talk about enough in our, our current society or that there's either like I don't know if it's taboo or that people are just kind of uncomfortable to tell people around them that they're going through this
1: i believe that the taboo is around is is more around miscarriage because one does not you know infertility doesn't you know you don't end up in infer- infertility without having either just not achieved any pregnancies or lost several pregnancies you don't end up there after one miscarriage and i think for well maybe some people do but it's and uh, But I do think that we have so much work to do here in Canada. We're so advanced in so many fields of medicine, and we're so archaic in the way in which we approach miscarriage, it's crazy. So for our first miscarriage, I ended up 24 hours in emergency, like like in the middle of a miscarriage in downtown Montreal in a hospital waiting to be seen. Another 24 hours to access medication, like it was just it went on and on and on no follow up like just we, we you know the second miscarriage was handled a little bit differently because it was handled through the fertility team. Um, but still it was pretty you know. okay, this one didn't work. Okay, great. Let's get you back on track. We'll start next month again, we just very much like taken kind of in stride. Um, we don't have appropriate access to, to care for people in the middle of miscarriages like most people just have to show up in emergency and sit there for days on end until they're, until they're treated, you know, or they send you to the maternity ward in many hospitals here in Montreal. So you end up like sitting in the waiting room with all these pregnant people. And then sometimes you put you need to be in for several hours, you put in the antipartum ward, with all these other women who are eight months pregnant. And we just don't have systems in place, first of all, to treat people who are in the midst of this marriage. And then second of all, we do going even talk about
0: yeah, absolutely. And then there's absolutely no follow-up in terms of grief and no. everything else that actually happens for days, weeks, months after.
2: No. One of my issues I had when I was I had my second miscarriage is that I kept having retained tissue.
1: So mm. I did a first of medication to flush everything. Then I was still in quite a lot of pain, and I was going back into to see like, caregivers and the fertility, and I was saying, like, something's wrong, and they were just going to take some and you're probably just depressed. I'm saying like I'm not depressed. I like, am sad. But I'm not depressed. But there's something wrong. There's something wrong. And, they, and then um I was teaching the time. I was saying like I can't. I can't even work. I can't stand up in front of a classroom. Like there's something wrong. There's something wrong. And I ended up 12 weeks later, I'm passing the rest of the So there was like not even enough like follow up during the process to know, to even have checked to see that everything had actually been resolved. Wow. And that's when you're being followed by, like, in these That leads you to believe that when you're not being followed that closely, that you're
0: probably you're just not. Oh, and like yeah. just a simple ultrasound, and somebody yeah. actually listening to what you were saying would have fixed it. Yeah.
1: On a floor with 12 ultrasound. you know, on a floor with, like, uh, I'm an OB resident behind every, in every single door and ultrasound machines in there. So mm-hmm. it was, yeah, there was things like that that we were we really talking about
2: wow. Yeah. But, but, you know, I'm lucky that I did have, like, outside support. You know, I did have, like, a therapist. I did have all of these things, but, you know, I have good insurance. Not everybody has, the, has access to it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I I have to say, like, it's something that I've learned in clinic as well is that most of the time when someone says someone, no matter how improbable it is, like, 99% of the time, they're right, like, they're in their own body. And, like, and I really make a point, like, even though sometimes we see the same people over and over, or the same situations to like, stop and be like, this person is taking the time to tell me this. It, it really means something and I have to dig deeper in there and I wish that that was something that could be done in all of healthcare. but mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of professionals get kind of swallowed up into like I'm too busy, I'm seeing too many people, this appointment has to be. Yeah I've seen this
1: before, I know what the outcome is, I know what the outcome,
0: outcome we just become a number.
1: I, I do, I, I, I I will say that you know, as much as there were some really big missteps along the way, like the fertility, team, it did feel like people's um, people's hearts were in the right place. Like they were really,
2: they were there because they really, I mean, they probably were there for many, many of
1: their own career reasons. But but my interactions were always like the, that. Our well-being was that in mind. So that was always very clear that our well-being is like. Now yeah, they were working with hundreds and hundreds of people at the same time. So there were mistakes that were made a long way that happens, but, um, but I,
2: didn't feel, um, I didn't feel like my interactions with the fertility team were difficult. Mm-hmm. It was
0: often the people adjacent to the team that it became, became more difficult. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you would have liked to share today, anything that we didn't cover that would be important to say?
1: I mean, I think that if, um, what was important for me was to, once we got pregnant and maintained the pregnancy, it was important for me to be able to land in a really solid midwifery team because that midwifery team recuperated a lot of things that had been happening for the two years. So the fact that my partner and I, who had just been rushing, rushing through many, many professionals for two years on end. You know, he had never had a child before. He had never interacted with midwives before. He had only had these interactions in his high-risk OB units and like all this stuff. So like when we arrived at the birth center for our first meeting, and it was an hour and a half long for the first meeting, and our child, our older child was invited. And she spent 45 minutes talking with him and 45 minutes talking with me. You know, like a, a solid like part of the first meeting was just speaking directly to him about his experience. We walked, we walked out of there and I said, That's what it was. Like. He was like, That's where I want to be. too. So it was like, I feel like you know, you become so wrapped up in the system that's all about risk and like, like mitigating risk and making sure that the pregnancy sticks fixed and making sure you're giving. I think that there would be for many people a lot of fear to go towards and go after that. And I think there was a ton of fear instilled in me. Like, like really, really like high professionals in the OB unit saying like you cannot do that, like you don't know what you're talking about. But that midwifery team, like just recuperated everything that felt like we hadn't been treated, and it was really just like a lovely like you know seven months of of somebody sitting down with us saying like how are you and what's going on. And, Really take, and then also because of my age, I was 42. Also, really taking really good clinical care of me as well. Like, very, 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 very high clinical care. Sending mm-hmm. me, me to the OB team to be checked for things along the way that we thought would be an issue. Like, really on top. I, I, I felt like nobody was going to be missing anything. I was going to slide to the cracks anymore, Which we had slipped to
2: slip through the cracks a few times.
0: Mm-hmm. It was a, a really good balance. So you felt like basically the, the human part and the clinical part were really weaved together in a way yeah. that they both had their, had their place.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Because I was really afraid of, you know, I was really afraid of, like, what else could get missed, you know, as it had been missed. I really mm-hmm. have, like, a very strong personal relationship with the person in front of me who, who was going to know my file and not make mistakes like like um, when I got my file from fertility transferred over, like it had just been written in my file that I had like kidney dysfunction and I was like I don't have a kidney dysfunction, I don't have any kidney dysfunction, but those things if you're not really involved with your caregiver can really change the course of your care really quickly in a really bad way.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So <laughs> I really wanted to make sure that I was really had a one on one personal relationship with like, my caregiver to make sure that none of those things.
0: Mm-hmm. I, uh, and then all of your two years plus your seven months culminated in a beautiful home birth.
2: Yeah, and a great
0: birth at
1: home. Um, the plan was to have, I had a very fast birth to my first child. So I, my
2: first
0: birth was like four and a half hours long. My oh, wow. So I, was expecting that my
2: second could be Beth. Um
1: I probably would have planned on going to the birthing center, but it hadn't, our birthing center hadn't been built yet. And uh, I would have had to go to the hospital. That was out of question for me. I wasn't going to set foot back to the hospital unless I really needed to. Um, yeah, and then we had her at 38 weeks and started contractions at 11 o'clock at night. And she was born at 12.24. Wow. <laughs>
0: she, she came.
1: She came uh tumbling into the world quickly and she is the same person. She's pretty high
2: energy. <laughs> yeah, but really super easy birth, no complications, not a stitch, like nothing. Like a easy, easy birth. Hmm.
1: Three hours later we were all like tucked up in bed together and it was all picked up and, and towel was standing there, and everybody went home. <laughs> it was really,
0: really good. So it's not because one part of the process is really difficult that it necessarily sets the tone for the rest, right? Yeah. Every yeah. piece is, yeah. is different in its own journey.
1: Exactly. And look, if I had gone into the pregnancy that had been complicated, at the end of the pregnancy, for instance, we thought that maybe she was a uh, breach because she was so low and so engaged. And at that point, they were just saying, "We'll do a vaginal breach for... I have enough experience in birth that there would have been points along the way, like maybe for a vaginal breach, for instance, which I would have said, no, we're just gonna not, not doing it. Like, I'm also realistic that if there had been complications, I would have said, no, I'm gonna to go to the hospital, I'm gonna ask for some C-section. like, I'm not, I wasn't married
2: to the idea of having only a home vaginal mom. I wanted to have the best birth that I could have based on where what's happening. Mm-hmm. And I guess he ended up being super uneventful the second time around as well, so it was perfect. I wouldn't have made it to the
1: hospital anyway by the time we realized what was happening.
0: <laughs> you would have had a co- car birth. Ca- co- <laughs> I would have had a car birth by the time we realized what was really
2: happening. She was already on mm.
0: Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today.
1: You're so welcome anytime. It's my pleasure. I think it's wonderful what you do.